So I like to um, start with a disclaimer this morning. Um, I don't like this sermon. Now, the reason I don't like it is one of the things I've learned as a pastor is sometimes as a pastor, God expects you to practice what you preach. I find this very conflicting sometimes. It's much easier if you just all practice what I preach and to leave me alone. And I knew this, this was coming up. I knew we're, we're ending the Ten Commandments. I knew this one was coming, but I had no idea what the Lord was going to churn in my spirit as I kind of prepared and studied and prayed. And so that's my disclaimer. I don't like it. And towards the end, you might not like it either, but as God told me, suck it up, buttercup. It's too bad because um, it's the word of God, and so we're going to engage it. No motorcycles? What? I didn't say that. You said that. I heard I did. you. I'm sorry. You will have. I will throw back. holy water on you. <laughs> now, if you read the Bible, you'll notice that in some Bibles there's these red letters in the Gospels. They're the words of Jesus. I kind of like the red letters. I know some people don't like the red letters, and I say, well, how do you know like, what Jesus says if they're not red letters? And they say, well, we know because we read the Bible. But anyway, I digress. I like the red letters. And so when you look at the red letters, Jesus, his, his teachings really push against the culture back then and even now. Like, like things just don't kind of fit nicely into the way humanity really wants to live, the way people want to live. Even within the church, some of the things that Jesus teaches us, are just it's just kind of like, ugh. I don't want to. There's in uh, the Beatitudes, chapter 5 of Matthew. Blessed are those who are meek. Really? Like, I know meek is power under control, blah, blah, but really? Or, here, here's my favorite. No, this is not my favorite. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Come on. Sometimes the best I can do is ignore my enemies. Then I don't have to deal with them at all. But Jesus says, not only love them, do good to them. That means you have to be involved with them to do good to them. And then, and then there's this one. And this one just kind of pushes it right to the edge. Jesus, these should be red letters, but they're not. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. I mean, if I'm honest, I got some stuff, possessions. I got some nice stuff. But I would think that this is one of the biggest pushbacks against our culture, our society as it stands now. One pastor, and, and I forget where I read it, but it, it's not my original thought, but he called it the, the cult of the next thing. We all belong to this cult of the next thing. And we always want the next thing. And, and, and for me, my, my, my Achilles heel, my temptation is the iPhone. Like the iPhone 8 came out. And then the iPhone 10 came out. Now, I still have the iPhone 7. I am two versions behind in the iPhone. 
It doesn't feel good. And it's not because the Lord has convicted me of not getting the next better thing. It's because my wife said, no, you can't have it. And my couch is really uncomfortable to sleep on. But why is that temptation so great? Bigger, better, faster, brighter, the next upgrade. Well, it basically comes down to this, that we, the world, has been corrupted by sin. And so the things that we desire, the things that we desire within our hearts have also been corrupted. And we want things that we don't need, we shouldn't have, we have no right to. And this is the way God writes it in Exodus chapter 20, the last of the Ten Commands. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's number 10. That's the 10th word of the 10 words. Cool Bible word, huh? Covet. Don't covet. You might be asking, what does covet really mean? I'm glad you asked. I am prepared to tell you what covet really means. Covet is to crave or yearn after something that belongs to someone else. Something that you don't have, but they have, and you really want it because they have it, and it looks really cool. To covet is to set your heart on something that's not rightfully yours in the first place, but you want it. So it's not just about wanting something. It's wanting something that somebody else has that you want. Clear? Good? Now, please, understand, we have to, we have to lay this groundwork right off the bat. To have desire is, is not wrong. God has built us with desires. He's given us desire. And, and, and desire is ultimately a good thing because all good things come from God. But again, sin has come into the world and it's kind of messed things up. And so when you desire food, it's your body going, you better eat something or you're going to pass out. When you desire something to drink, you know that your body is going, I need water, it, I better drink. When you desire friendship and connection, it, it draws you into community. When you desire, say, say, a deeper connection or intimacy, you may be married to someone. You, you have these desires. Ultimately, God has instilled in each and every person, whether they believe it or not, whether they respond to it or not, a desire for him, for something else, for something more. And he's given that to us. And so desire is not a bad thing. Like there, there are other desires. I, I have a desire for a Harley Davidson. You might have heard that once or twice here. I know it's a real long shot, but it's something I, I would like. But that desire does not control me to selfishly go and get something that we as a family cannot afford. Mainly because Sandy said no again, and I don't want to sleep on the couch, but I, I digress. But our desires have been corrupted by sin, and it has darkened what God has originally placed in us for good. We become green with envy. Envy is always part of this idea of, of coveting. It goes all the way back to the garden. Chapter 3, Eve's looking at the tree. Satan comes in. Pretty good looking, huh? 
you know, if you eat that, you'll be like God. God doesn't want you to eat it because God doesn't want you to be like it, him. And she looks and she's like, wow, this is good food and it's good to get knowledge. And so she takes and she eats and she gives in to this, this, this sinful desire, this temptation. Eve took the fruit to get something that she was never supposed to have. Adam took a bite of something that he was never supposed to have. And we have been following in their footsteps ever since. Now, I have to believe that you parents with multiple children and even our dedicated staff of nursery workers see this idea of coveting in the nursery all the time or at home. Like, there is not one toy in the nursery that sparks a child's attention than the toy that the other kid has. And then there's this, there's this um, uh, uh, an envy builds in. They want that toy. And then it builds to full-blown coveting. They're going to take that toy and they go and the steal happens. Boom, there's tears. And then moms and, and, and workers come in there like your kid's crying back there. He got bopped in the head and, and out you go. Children, they're just right out front with coveting. They're like, want the toy? Mine. But for adults, we're just a little bit more subtle. Right? We get that, we get that twinge when we go on Facebook and we see that awesome vacation that they went on and we had just got off our awesome staycation. Or when they get the promotion and you really should have gotten it. Well, so you think so. And someone gets not only the thing that we wanted, but the thing that, I mean, if we're keeping it real, the thing that we really deserve. We get that little churning going in our, in our spirit. You know, we're constantly, for whatever reason, comparing ourselves to other people. How they look, what they're doing, how they're doing it. I mean, I look out here and, and some of you, some of you have really awesome hair. And part of me, there's that, I would love to change the look. It's never going to happen. Like, look at Mike. He's like, he's like 60, and he's got a full head of hair. Somewhere around there. Close enough. And so we're always comparing ourselves to each other. We always want what the other one has. This is, this is the way James would, would write it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Don't worry, Mike, I'm not going to kill for your hair. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel, quarrel, and fight. You covet. You want something that someone else has that you somehow have convinced yourself you should have, deserve to have, and you go after it and get it. And it causes quarrels and fights. I mean, there are just plenty of things to covet in life. And usually it's kind of like material stuff, right? That's why the 10th command, it, it talks about material things. Uh, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, male or female servant. Anybody have a male or female servant? All right, there's no coveting in here then for that. Ox or donkey. No? But what 
this speaks to, is speaking to, is the things when this was written that are important. Now, we don't put a lot of importance right now on ox and donkeys, and we would never call somebody a servant because that's just not cool. But we can translate that into the here and the now. The house, absolutely. I don't, it's not, okay, maybe it's a little coveting. Central air. Oh, come on, man. I was so tired of sweating last week. I was doing a snow dance every day on my deck. <laughs> Bigger houses, gadgets, gizmos. Do you, do you know that they have a refrigerator now that you don't even have to open the door to see into? You just knock twice and the light goes on and you can just look and walk away if you don't want anything. They have washers and dryers now that they're worth more than my house. We can covet so many different things that other people have that we don't. Consumer consumption has become a a very normal way of life for us. Within the church, let's not kid ourselves, we all wrestle with it. We all kind of suffer through it. I don't want to pick on Apple, but, but, but think about it. They come out in October with a new iPhone. Then by next spring, they come out with another version. So they come out in, in, in October, and they sell a bazillion of them. And then in the spring of next year, they sell a bazillion more of the next version. Why? Because we can't keep the 10th command. We have this thing that churns in us, that desires something that we think we need. We call it chasing the American dream, right? Let me get some. So this list isn't exhaustive. But look at what it says at the end. So you can't get the house, you can't get the wife, you can't get the servant, you can't get the ox, you can't get the donkey. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There is a big, all-inclusive anything that belongs to your neighbor. That covers just about everything because Jesus taught everyone is our neighbor. So if you were looking for a loophole to don't covet, well, the door has been slammed shut. The Lord of all creation said, no. And so we don't, we just don't, we just don't talk about stuff and cars and homes. And we we can talk about looks and talents and and intellect, a situation that somebody look, oh, look, they're married and I'm not, or I'm married and they're not. I, I mean, I mean, we could, there's all kinds of things that we, we can covet. God has ruled out all sinful desire for something that someone else has that you think you want or deserve. Now, in church world, with church folk, and, and I find it with myself, we, we kind of look at this 10th command as the lesser of the sin. I mean, it's coveting. It's not like murder, or it's not like adultery, or it's, it's not like stealing. So we can, we can joke about it. We kind of throw it around a little bit. And I wonder why God didn't start with this one, like, and work his way up to murder. Like, don't covet, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. That's the big one, right? 
But here's the thing that I have found, not only in my own life, but in church world, that um, in our bias, we want to put a number on certain sins. Some traditions would say that certain sins are mortal sins and certain sins are venial sins. In, in evangelical worlds, we just kind of categorize as felony and misdemeanor. But what did Jesus teach? Call your brother a fool and you're danger of the fires of hell. And so there's no greater or lesser sin. Don't ever be tempted to lessen the spiritual severity of the darkness that coveting brings to the life of a believer. The scripture talks about it very often. When you are reading in the New Testament and you come across the word greed, many times, in many instances, that is the same word used as the Old Testament idea to covet. Greed. Jesus speaks against greed. Paul speaks against greed. Peter speaks against greed. And so when we find ourselves in that place, that, that, that darkness of wanting something that someone else has, it can very well translate even into more darkness. It can lead us into a place of sin. It's, it's a very long rabbit trail that we can follow. Coveting is not just wanting something. Coveting is starting to, starting to scheme of a way that we can get it. Remember um, the eighth command, don't steal. We talked about the guy Achan in the book of Joshua. Now remember, um, Joshua, they, they, they have this great victory in battle. And God says, you don't get to keep any of the plunder. It all goes to me. And Achan, he ends up taking some stuff. But look at, look at what it said. Look at what he said when he was finally found out. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a gold bar weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. See, he went way beyond just going, wow, that's a lot of gold and silver. Ooh, nice robe. No, but he allowed that sinful desire to take root, take control. And he started to scheme a way that he can get a hold of this stuff. Ultimately figured out how to do it, buried it in his tent and he suffered the consequences, he and his whole family. Sinful desire equated with sinful action. Sinful action always begins with a sinful desire. We see something we want. We start thinking about how much we actually want it. And then that kind of moves into how we really should have it. Then as that begins to take root, we move into, I deserve that. And when those thoughts begin to take root in our heart, we take action. James, James would describe it this way. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Then again, 1 Timothy. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin, into destruction. The sin of coveting is as harmful and as deadly as any other sin on the list. And so we always have to be asking ourselves, what are we desiring? Why are we desiring it? What are we willing to do to get what we think we deserve or we, we should have? Check it against what, the, what God is speaking to you in your heart. The 10th command is very different from the first nine in a very big kind of looming way. Because the 10th command goes straight to the heart. It goes and it, and it kind of gets you right in the gut. See, the other nine commands are written in such a way that they talk first about our actions. Now, there's the inside-outside principle of the Ten Commandments. Um, they talk about outside action. They also talk about inward postures of your heart. So don't murder is the ultimate expression of hatred, which is something in your heart. And, and so that's the way they unfold. But, but the first nine talk about first the actions. Don't worship other gods. Have no other gods before me. Keep holy the Sabbath. Don't use God's name in vain. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Keep holy the Sabbath. But the ninth or the tenth moves us from inward to outward. God is looking at our heart. Don't covet. See, the things of our heart are the things that we hide very easily. We kind of keep them at bay. We don't really share them with other people. They're, they're our secret. Only God knows, and most times I hope God doesn't reveal our secrets. So coveting is not speaking right away of what we're doing. Coveting is speaking to what we want to do, the desires that our heart has. And so what God is saying is, yes, there is a requirement for those who live this life with Jesus, that your life should show some evidence of following God, of following Christ. There should be certain things in your life that people can look at and go, huh, but also God looks at the heart. God is as much concerned about what's on the inside as on the outside. See, if not, if God didn't focus in on what's on the inside of us, we would be very tempted as humans to, to just think that we could follow the rules. That if I can just be good and look good on the outside and just kind of smile all the time and follow the rules, then I'm going to be just okie dokie. But the 10th command, God looks on the inside. So God judges not only our action, but he judges us on the inside stuff like malice, gossip, hatred, looking at a woman lustfully, coveting, <laughs> I'm thinking in the church, people are sinning all the time, if that's the case. And when you think about it from that perspective, 
that God judges the things that are in our hearts, it could be a bit depressing. But here's the thing. It shouldn't be. Because that truth of God looking inside of us is his grace to us. That truth is his mercy to us. Because because no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many chapters and verses you can regurgitate, no matter how many ministries you serve in, no matter how many hours you pray every day, no matter how much you read, no matter how much you say, praise Jesus, bananas are on sale at Stop and Shop this week. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And when you come to that realization that we are all sinners in need of a savior, then you are saved not by your good works, not by how much you can do, how much you can achieve. You are saved by grace and grace alone, not by your works. So you don't get to boast and say, ha ha ha, look how good I am. It's only by grace. And when you're saved by grace, you are made a new creation. The old is gone, the new has arrived, and you get all the kingdom bells and whistles with it. Thank you. Thank you. So many people today, and here's where my disclaimer comes in. I'm going to start not liking this. So many people today, um, we, we live in this if-only world. It seems to be a very popular place to hang out for all of us, if only. If only is a stepping stone to breaking the 10th command. I mean, we have so much frustration in our life due to the fact that we want things that God has not yet given to us. We want them, we deserve them, we should have them now. We are very good. We've grown very good at concentrating on the things that we don't have instead of being thankful for the things that we do have. If only I had a bigger house. If only I had central air conditioning. If only I had a better car, a nicer phone. That begins to build discontentment in your heart. And that is a weed that festers and grows and it chokes the spirit of the Lord within us. Many of you know the story, and I've used it before, of of Rockefeller. And a a young newspaper reporter asked him, uh, how much money do you need to be happy? And his response, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Here's the way the writer of Ecclesiastes would. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's meaningless. Though in my humanness, I want to try that. Like, give me some wealth, I'll let you know. You know, sometimes we don't like the way we look. If only I looked like that person, then I could be successful. Then I would be more self-assured. If only I was able to prove myself this way, 
If only people would recognize my talents and my giftings, then I would have gotten the promotion, then I can do this at the church, then I can do this in my neighborhood. If only, if only. Man, discontentment comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. You can be discontent, discontent in being single. You can be discontent in being married. You can be, I mean, it's just the, the gamut runs. You can be discontent because the fan is on. You can be discontent because the fan was off. As long as you are basing your life, your, as long as you're basing your contentment on the things of this world, you will never be content. Never. See, our problem isn't an outer, outside world problem. Our problem is an interior problem. It's a heart problem. So things are never going to bring contentment. And here's, here's a painful truth that I came to this week, and I didn't like it one bit. I still don't like it, and God's going to have to work in me. If God wanted me to have more right now, I would have it. If I needed a different set of spiritual gifts to bring him more glory, I would have them. Because he's God. If I'm supposed to be in a different situation in my life, I would be. See, I'm in it. Today, in this very moment. I am going through what I am going through this very moment because God has willed it for my life. And because I don't want to leave any of you out from feeling really bad, so are you. And listen, I know that that, that sounded a little cheeky, but I get it, man, because sometimes life just sucks. And sometimes we feel abandoned and sometimes we don't even know where God is and we feel left alone. We feel like orphan children, but God is trustworthy and true and he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And you and we are where we are because in, in, in his ultimate plan of being a good God, he has put us here in this moment, in this situation. And sometimes we just don't get it. And that's okay. Because if you were able to figure out everything about God, he would no longer be God. I am trying to learn to be content right where God has me in this very moment. It ain't easy. I get it. (laughs) I really do. I I get it. It ain't easy. Like, how do we become so satisfied with the things of God that the things that he has provided or hasn't provided, it doesn't make any difference at all because we have him. One thing I know for sure, that covetousness to covet cannot live in the presence of contentment. It has to flee. It's, it's, like the, it's like the mushroom that comes out and gets burned up by the sun. It can't, can't live with each other. Here's, here's how Paul puts it. 
in Philippians. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know it is to be in need, and I know it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all of this. I can learn to be content with little. I can learn to be content with a lot. I can learn to be content in sickness and in health, with gain and with loss, because I can do all things because God gives me strength. We don't have Jesus Christ so we can get more of the things that we want. We were given Jesus Christ because really he's the only thing that we need. And should be the only thing that we want. He will supply all our needs. That's the promise of scripture. Never leaving us. Never forsaking us. He will help us with everything that we need. So what more can we possibly want in life? I mean really. And Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom. His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Father, thank you that you've freed us from the, by the cross. From the sin of this world. Now empower your people to live and to walk in a way that is worthy of you. Help us to remember that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It's ours. Help us to understand that wisdom and knowledge comes from your mouth and you have promised to give wisdom generously to those who will ask you that we may live in the righteousness that's been given to us by Jesus Christ. And so we love you. Thank you for forgiveness. (laughs) Thank you for being gentle but firm with us, calling us into a deeper relationship with your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we all say, Amen. Amen. I love you guys. What? Oh, can you? Oh, uh, that's right. I forgot to say that. this is my last Sunday for a couple weeks. Um, I'm going on a mission trip with my son and Chloe back there. We're going to the Czech Republic, to Germany, and to Czech Republic, and possibly Poland. But we don't know. Um, and so, yeah, so if you guys would mind praying for us, that would be awesome. Uh, we leave on Friday, and um, I'll be preach- we get uh, to the Czech Republic on Saturday. I preach in a church on Sunday morning. Um, all jet lagged and feeling groovy about myself. And um, Chloe will give her testimony in that church on, on, on Sunday morning, that Sunday morning. And then we're going to be traveling around. Uh, we're going to go to a Christian camp in Germany. I have no idea what they want me to do, but I'll be ready to do whatever the Lord says. And so why don't you guys come on down and we're going to ask some people to pray for us.